Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Monday, June 5th. 2023. It's 1030 in the morning here on the East Coast of the United States. Ray McGovern joins us now. Ray, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming back. Thank you for starting the week with us, Ray. I look forward to it every Monday morning, and so many of our fans look forward to your uh, insight uh, as well. We have some uh, clips we'll run later on um, uh, in your time with us of uh, President Zelensky indicating how prepared the Ukraine military is for their so-called spring offensive. And it got me to thinking, what role, if any, is there played by U.S. intelligence in informing him of just how ready he is or how ready the Russians are for him? Uh, it's very marginal. I mean... The intelligence has been so politicized, Judge, that you have people like the director of national intelligence, uh, Avril Haines, saying just two months ago that she's very optimistic about the counteroffensive because Russia is running out of ammunition and running out of rockets, and they have no indigenous capability to produce them. Where are they getting that? Where is she getting that stuff from? Ukrainian liaison. Has that come through? Comes through the CIA. Is there some sort of comment or break on that? Apparently not. Otherwise, the director of national intelligence wouldn't be saying these stupid things. I mean, <laughs> it, is, it is the Ukrainians, not the Russians, who <laughs> lack the internal ability to produce weapons and ammunition. Could she possibly be confusing the two, just as our friend Jack Devine did when he said the <laughs> seven to one kill ratio favored the Ukrainians rather than the Russians. Yeah. Well, I forgive Jack earlier than I would forgive uh, the, the director of national intelligence. Uh, she's sort of uh, gone bonkers. Uh, I had a little tweet this weekend about the guy from Yonkers going bonkers. And that of course is uh, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, who was born in Yonkers, and his speech in Helsinki shows that he's gone, literally gone bonkers, saying, ah, the Russians have have already suffered a strategic defeat. Man, we got this thing all, all, all wrapped up. Hello? I just don't, well, I think I do understand. And what I'm afraid of, Judge, is that that Zaporozhye nuclear power plant that's vulnerable, okay? And if the Ukrainians are backed into a really untenable situation worse than it is now, we have all kinds of hints that a false flag operation could be mounted. Hints to include people like Yale's 
Timothy Snyder, who tacked it onto an op-ed in the New York Times, the suggestion that, oh, there may be a, a false flag. Well, in which direction? The Russians have no incentive to mess with the nuclear power plant. The Ukrainians, with their back up against the wall, might, might be tempted to do that just to slow down what's happening now in Ukraine. This is a Ukrainian, this is a nuclear power plant in Ukraine, which you're yeah. suggesting might be the uh, object of a false flag attack, meaning Ukrainian attack made to look like it was a Russian attack in an effort to slow down the Russian uh, troop movements westward. Yeah, now this would be an extremist, but I think we're getting pretty close to <laughs> extremists for the for the fellows in uh, or the people in in Kiev, and you know this unreality from Blinken and from the head of national intelligence and from from just everybody about everybody else. Although there are glimmers of truth seeping through the Washington Post, for example, uh, that unreality is something that Americans will not be prepared for, and they'll just very easily believe. Uh, that you know Russia was losing, and that Russia uh, blew up those cooling cooling uh, ponds that would spread disaster throughout Ukraine and elsewhere as well. Same mentality that argued that Russia destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline. I mean, it's just <laughs> absurd. Uh, you know, we had that clip. I'm going to ask Gary to see if he can find it. Gary, the clip of. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken in Helsinki last week. If you can come up with As I've made clear, by virtually every measure, President Putin's invasion of Ukraine has been a strategic failure. Yet, while Putin has failed to achieve his aims, he hasn't given up on them. He's convinced that he can simply outlast Ukraine and its supporters, sending more and more Russians to their deaths, inflicting more and more suffering on Ukraine's civilians. He thinks that even if he loses the short game, he can still win the long game. Putin is wrong about this, too. The United States, together with our allies and partners, is firmly committed to supporting Ukraine's defense today, tomorrow, for as long as it takes. So he either is knowingly lying or delusional. Yeah, it could be about 50% of each. Um, you know... They're all delusional. Uh, here we have Yosef uh, Borrell, uh, the, the head foreign policy expert of the EU. He said not too long ago that, you know, um, it's really interesting because the Russians have this history of being able to come from behind, right? They come from behind and win like, uh, oh, there was Napoleon. Oh, there, there was Hitler. And, 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 you know, we don't want to underestimate Russian strength. But then, of course, the solution is to keep this war going, keep pumping more weapons in there. You know, hello, that is the I mean, that doesn't follow. That's a bad syllogism. What you do is you find a way to stop the war. The last thing I'll say here is that, you know, there's a human aspect to this God, this godforsaken thing. Uh, people care very much about Ukrainians, and I do. I include myself in that number. But nobody cared about the 14,000 or 12,000 at least Russian stock that were being killed in the Russian in the Russian speaking part of the Donbas from 2014 the coup in Kiev until the operation that the Russians started in uh, last year nobody cared about that 
Uh, and that was one major reason. I'm, I'm coming, doing a lot of research on this. So it's one reason why, um, why the Russians went in. There was a big uptick in artillery fire. And I'm going to ask people like uh, Colonel McGregor, uh, that usually presages an offensive. Uh, in this case, uh, do you think that was the case? Now, there's lots of evidence that was precisely the case. The uptick was in mid-February last year. The invasion came on the 24th. Ray, did, the you say, did you say that the Ukrainian government killed 14,000 Russian-speaking people in a part of Ukraine that it claims is Ukraine? Killed them? Yeah, these were Ukrainian citizens, but of Russian ethnicity. Uh, I said 14,000. The best uh, figures are 12,000 because 2,000 uh, of those 14,000 are said to have been Ukrainians themselves who were shelling because there was firing back. But yeah, that's how it went down. After the coup in Kiev, these people in the eastern Ukraine didn't want to put themselves under this coup regime. And so they resisted. And guess what? Where'd they get all those weapons? You know where they got all those weapons? They got a lot of those weapons from Ukrainians, army people of Russian stock who said, I'm not going to fight for this coup regime. Here, take my weapons and take me. I'll fight back. The Russians, it's pretty much proven now, provided very little in the, in the way of material support or volunteers until the very end when, of course, they, they, they invaded. But all I'm saying is, is that one should have equal sympathy to the 12,000 people of Russian stock that were being killed while this farce was going on with the Minsk Accords and Russia was being deceived into thinking people were serious about that for those years between 2014 and 2022. If there is a Ukrainian offensive, would it be aiming at this very same area, sort of a burnt out, burnt over region, the Donbass? Well, what the reports today are conflicting. Uh, but as I read them, uh, the offensive, such as it is, and it may not be the counteroffensive, was, uh, was focused on Zaporozhye and Donetsk, so the, the border area between those two uh, oblasts or provinces. Uh, they're trying to, they may try to break through Russian lines there to get to, uh, to the sea. I don't think they have a prayer. I don't think they have a snowball's uh, chance in hell to do that, but they may try to do that. And what's really, really lamentable is you have Zelensky saying, you know, we're not ready really. Uh, we need more, more arms, but, uh, and people are going to die, but we're going to we're going to go ahead anyway. Well, why? Because the collective West says, "Look, if we're going to get our Parliament or our Congress to appropriate still more money for you guys, you got to show some sign of life." Okay, that's the only reason Zelensky is doing that. So it's really kind of our fault. Here's uh, President Zelensky, and and you you tell me if this is believable or not. Uh, saying that they're ready. Now, he says this in Ukrainian. I'm going to speak over him using the uh, English subtitles so that the folks that are uh, experiencing uh, judging freedom audio uh, only can follow what's going on. Take a listen, Ray. I think that today we 
In my opinion, as of today, we are ready to do it. We would like to have certain things, but we can't wait for months. We strongly believe we will succeed. I don't know how long it will take. So who's that for? Is that for Joe Biden? Is that for Tony Blinken? That's to explain in as nice a way as he can. We're not really ready. We need more weapons. They're not really available. Uh, it's the stocks in the West that are running out. It's the ammunition we can't get. We're going to do it anyway, just to show there's life in the Ukrainian army. And you know what about the Ukrainian soldiers are going to be in a bloodbath? Uh, well, that doesn't seem to matter a hell of a lot to Zelensky. Does American intel uh, inform Ukrainian intel of the nature and extent of Russian defenses? Intel has been so politicized, Judge, that I don't know what intel is telling the Ukrainians. Right. Uh, they're, they're stuck through in, in all of the, in the ministries in, in Kiev. But, you know, whether they show photographs about, uh, you know, where Russians are deployed and, and how easily they can counter offense against the counteroffensive, I just don't know. Uh, it's all, you know, part of the policy here. You want these guys to go ahead, no matter how many losses they, they suffer, just to show that they deserve still more armaments from the West. Aside from uh, testifying before uh, Congress, what role does the Director of National Intelligence play in any of this? I mean, does she supersede the Director of the CIA? Does Intel have to be filtered through yet another level of bureaucracy uh, at her uh, office? Yes, the answer is yes, yes. It's, another, it's an unnecessary level of bureaucracy born of Congress's determination to do something after 9-11. The myth was no one's in control of the intelligence community. No one's in control. Nobody has the authority to bang heads together. Well, that was completely wrong. John Brennan, the director of central intelligence, under that hat had exactly what he needed to bang heads together. Now, he didn't do that. And I said, well, after the 9-11 report came out, I was... Uh, I was scheduled to be interviewed by the BBC. So I went across the street and I'm getting ready after having read as much as I could. And in comes Senator Slade Gorton. You probably know him, Judge, right. from the state of Washington. And he sits down next to me. I said, Senator Gorton, maybe you can maybe you can explain something to me. Uh, George Tennant already has the authority and he didn't use it to bang heads together, get those clowns in the Pentagon to tell the truth about weapons of mass. He has that authority. Why do you create this new superstructure? <laughs> and Gordon says to me, Ray, you're telling me the lights are on for guys. Of course I know we know that, but we have to appear to be doing something. And that's what we came up with. So you're quite right. Now, does she perform a useful role? Very useful if the role is to cover up. She covered up for the for the people who hacked into the Senate computers under the direction of John Brennan. She was Brennan's chosen deputy for a while, right? She goes to the White House and she covers up and she says, well, they didn't do anything wrong. She also covered up, or actually she played a lead role, a lead role in running the investigation into the into COVID. 
did it come out of a, a Chinese laboratory? No, it came from a Chinese bat, okay? Well, that was what she was directed to say. She, the Director of National Intelligence, was running this, not NIH or anybody else. Why? For political reasons. Now, of course, we know that's most likely came out of this lab. It was a lab leak, and we also know that the U.S. had a role in this laboratory. Well, uh, here's uh, uh, President Zelensky. You'll, you'll uh, I think, be not startled because you probably expect it, but you won't be happy to hear this, referring to President Putin, and again, I will read the subtitles, as a cornered animal. Any of our Western partners, they have to understand what specifically they are afraid to lose. His constant Soviet-style threats about nuclear weapons. All of these are signs of a weak man. And that's how we have to act. A cornered animal. He is afraid of losing his life. He must be afraid of the strength of the world. Why would he be saying nonsense like that about the rather restrained, patient, methodical, Vladimir Putin. Judge, uh, it's hard to explain what Zelensky says, but in this case, he's right. Putin has said, he said a month before the special military operation, if you want to call it, that NATO has cornered Russia. We, quote, we have no farther back to go. We cannot retreat any farther. And if they're referring to what NATO was doing and building up the Ukrainian weaponry and the Ukrainian army, but also those, those bases in Romania and Poland and maybe in Ukraine uh, that, could, that can field intermediate and medium-range ballistic missiles. So yeah, yeah, Putin was feeling cornered. The only problem is that Zelensky <laughs> draws exactly the wrong conclusion, just like Joseph Burrell, and says, Therefore, <coughs> now, you don't corner somebody with nuclear weapons. That's been the case since nuclear weapons were invented. What's with these peas? What these, pe these people, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you don't wage war against a nuclear power and expect that nuclear power to give up if its existence, if it's an existential threat that it perceives. And that's precisely what Putin has said he perceives, and I believe he does perceive it's not very different from the existential threat that John Kennedy 61 years ago perceived from similar missiles stationed in Cuba with five to seven to nine minutes time from, from launch to target. But what is to be gained by personal attacks uh, on Putin like that? You don't hear him uh, calling Zelensky a coward or a skunk or a criminal. He doesn't even he doesn't even mention Zelensky in public. Yeah, well, Zelensky is trying to blend in with the background, right? You remember just one month after Joe Biden became president, uh, George Stephanopoulos, Javier uh, said, "Now, by the way, Joe, uh, by the way, Mr. President, do you think that Putin's a killer?" And Biden, oh yeah, yeah, he's a killer, and now he's a thug, now he's a rascal, and all. That. 
you know, it makes no sense at all. If you have any idea of working out some kind of arrangement with this person, why would you call them these names? And I have to lament the fact that, what's his name? Bobby Kennedy Jr., for God's sake, feels it necessary to call Putin a thug. Now, the evidence that Putin is a thug, he really needs to look, be looked into. Let's but assume he is a thug. <sighs> My God, why do you call the leader of the powerful nation of Russia with a nuclear capability a thug before you even get, get approval as a candidate for presidency? It just doesn't make any sense, but it plays the American people, I suppose. Yevgeny <laughs> um, Prigozhin, the head of the Wagner Group, claims he captured a Russian commander. What does that mean? Yeah. That, that, that the paramilitary Wagner group arrested uh, a, a full-time army lieutenant colonel in the Russian army, not in the Ukrainian army. Yeah, um, the interrogation revealed uh, that this light colonel, this uh, Russian lieutenant colonel, was drunk and he ordered his folks, his troops, to fire on Prigozhin's troops. Oh. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, Prigozhin has, in my view, political ambitions. Uh, he talks about, or people talk about him uh, going over the Rubicon, you know, like, like Caesar went <laughs> over the Rubicon, and you know what happened to him. Uh, it's really a mystery as to why he's allowed to do all this stuff, but there is a check on him. Uh, Kadyrov, the Chechen leader, for, exa for example, I think Prigozhin is trying to cash in on the unpleasant things that happened to him at the hands of the Russian military. And I think there's probably a kernel of truth to that. Here's um, a rather slick and dramatic and foreboding PR piece that the uh, Ukraine government produced with American money, of course. I don't think these are actors. These are real uh, soldiers. But you'll, you'll see the message uh, that the Ukraine government is trying to convey. you able to see and translate what was on the screen at the end? I couldn't see it very well, Judge, no. Okay. Was it in Russian or Ukrainian? It, it was in Russian, yeah, but I think there was a subliminal message there. All this is to the mass media. We're losing, but please don't admit it, for God's sake. Uh. <laughs> You're so smart. I thought the shush was don't reveal our plans. Don't let anybody know when we're going to attack. And you're basically saying to the Western media, shush, don't tell anybody the truth. Well, they've been advertising their plans for months now. I mean, it's the most the most interesting pre pre-publication counteroffensive that I've ever seen in military history. And I've seen a lot of them. 
Um, I just want to switch gears for a minute because I know you're a, a student of history. And tomorrow, uh, June 6th, is, of course, the anniversary of D-Day, which begins uh, the liberation uh, of Europe in 1944. What role, if any, did the Russian military play in D-Day, Ray? Well, the Russians had already pushed the Germans back. It was just a matter of time before they conquered the Germans. Uh, we helped. We helped immensely. We helped through Lend-Lease. Studebaker produced 200,000, I don't know if you were in the Army, two and a half ton trucks, okay? They could do anything over any terrain. And when I met a, a Russian general, actually, the Soviet general, infantry, 91 years old, in Moscow six or seven years ago, after I, I recited a kind of a poem about Russian grief, he came up to me and he said, Studebaker, 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 and then he gave me a great big embrace. Now, what was that all about? <coughs> Studebaker provided the wherewithal through Iran, mind you, to the southern part of the, of the Soviet Union at the time, which allowed people like Bagramov, this general, to move his troops, to haul their artillery, to make sure they could go forward, and they did. Did the U.S. help? Indeed, the U.S. helped. Would the Russians have won anyway? I believe that they probably would have probably taken another year, but they would have ended up on the Atlantic shores and the shores of the Mediterranean. So it was good that we intervened, but it was sort of in a supporting role, and some of my friends know a lot of it, about this that more than I do, like Scott Ritter and Larry Wilkerson, on my website is a, an interesting colloquy where the two of them go at it uh, about who really won the war. Great stuff, Ray. As always, my dear friend, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you as time uh, warrants, but without fail, every Monday morning. All the best. Thanks very much. More as we get it, my friends. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.